The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Turn in your Bibles to, in the Pew Bible it is page 904. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 starting in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take one of these as a gift from Park. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, but a man has, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Gary, one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome. I, I woke up this morning to an interesting text message. It's about 6 a.m. I got a, a text from Neil Long, our executive pastor, who was supposed to be preaching this morning, uh, that he was under the weather. And so, buckle up. Um, <laughs> it's, um, Jesus is alive. The Spirit of God is with us. So we're, we're going to be all right. Um, a couple things. When, when somebody's sick, I think in maybe whatever the 15 years of Park's existence, I don't know that this has ever happened, uh, but we've like prepared for it, like in the eventuality that somebody would get sick or a plane delay or something would happen. Uh, you know, we have a number of us that have like a backup sermon ready, and we have a few options every time something happens. One is, uh, again, a number of us have like a sermon maybe we've preached before or something we've prepared, just kind of ready to go to kind of go a different direction with that Sunday. Or if somebody was familiar enough with the text that we are going to be preaching, we'd just stay in there and just own the limitations and the weakness of that, but stay in the text that was planned. Or uh, we can just kind of like show up and see what God does. And so we're doing number three today. Uh, number three. So like I said, buckle up. Uh, I... Um, I really do mean this. One of the things that we care about as a church, a phrase that we use a lot is, um, as a team, we want to kind of help our Sundays be a space of undistracted excellence. So undistracting excellence is where we're prepared enough to actually lead people into worship with thoughtfulness, with spirit dependence, paying attention, but in our preparation process, what's he doing? So we create space to help people engage with Jesus with as minimal distractions as possible. We think that's valuable. You know, it's more valuable than undistracting excellence is spirit dependence. It's way more valuable. It's way more fundamental uh, to who we are as a people is to depend on the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are in Easter tide, which what we're saying in Easter is that Jesus is alive, and that means he's here. He's here with us always, and we believe that he actually enjoys magnifying and highlighting our weakness so that we would see mere, more clearly and, and that he would magnify his own power, his own strength. When he brings us face to face with our own limitations, our own weaknesses, our own limits, and we come to terms with our limitations as human beings, and it leads us into deeper dependence, we are actually stepping more fully into what it means to be human, to be dependent on the power 
in the presence of our creator and the sustainer of life. And so we're going to lean into that. Also today, what we have the ability to do, we're going to be stepping back into Matthew, um, which we're going kind of where we're at in the gospel of Matthew is still kind of in those last hours of Jesus's life. And what we're going to do this morning is take a little more time to linger on the resurrection. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about what it means, what the resurrection of Jesus means, not just for the future of our world, but for our lives here and now. And we're just going to take some time today as we prayed about it this morning. Okay, Lord, wh- where would you want to lead us? A number of us just felt this invitation. Hey, let's stay in the power of the resurrection to create new life in us here and now as we wait for Jesus to come again. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to stay in 1 Corinthians 15 and kind of look around at the way the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter unpacks the impact of the resurrection in our day-to-day life as followers of Jesus. And we're going to create a little more space uh, for us to respond personally. We can talk about things that happened a long time ago. We can talk about what God will do in the future. We can talk about the power that's at work here in the present. But actually living into that space, living into the the presence and the power of God here and now, actually requires us to pay attention to what's going on within us and to be active in that, to actually pursue Jesus here and now, to turn from the things in our life that pull us away from the presence of the crucified and risen Lord and to turn towards him, that he would actually bring freedom from the things that are holding on to us, that he would bring renewal, that he would bring transformation, that he would bring growth into our lives, that we would be who he's called us to be in Christ. And so we need the Holy Spirit. We're going to take a moment and pray, and then we'll dive into 1 Corinthians 15 together and uh, and see what God wants to do in us and through us uh, this morning. So would you join me in prayer? Um, Jesus, we come right now uh, acknowledging what is always true, Uh, which is our dependence, our weakness. We just sang it, feel the reality of our weakness through things like sickness and our own limitations in life, our lack of control over the world, our inability to bring real transformation and healing to the world in our own power. And so we come to you, not just owning our limitation, but anticipating your power. That Christ is risen indeed. And that means, Jesus, you're here. You're at work. You promise you will be with us to the very end of the age. You promise that your spirit will be at work to bring transformation, freedom, healing, growth into our lives. That would build faith. And so I pray you'd do it in powerful ways today, in real, real ways in our life. Where there are things that we're clinging on to and things that are clinging on to us that are holding us back from experiencing the freedom and the joy and the hope and the love that's available in you, the life that's available in you, would you free us today? Where we've become passive or callous or indifferent or cynical, would you awaken in us today, refresh us today? Where we've stayed hard-hearted towards things you want to do in our life, where we've lost hope that you can actually bring change, would you renew that hope? Would you soften our hearts today? And so we look to you, Jesus, the one who laid down your life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rose again on the third day to give us new life here and now as we wait for you to come again and make all things new. Pray you'd work that out here and now today. Freedom, forgiveness, new life, transformation. We pray for all of it. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King, amen. Uh, We are going to start in 1 Corinthians 15 kind of poke around at some other letters that Paul wrote that kind of unpack this theme a little more. Uh, but we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a Bible, I want you to see this in the passage. We're really going to pick up kind of where we ended uh, last week. Last week was Easter, remember? Christ is risen? Indeed, indeed. Still alive. Good news for us. 
He's still here. Um, and what we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul saying the centerpiece of the Christian faith is this news, this gospel, good news, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. He was buried and he rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And then he appeared to people in, a, in bodily form. And what he's passionately arguing for is that Jesus isn't just kind of like raised in our hearts. He's not just raised in the sense that he had a good message that continues to impact the world, that his body was dead and his body rose and he spent time talking to people and teaching people and eating with people and praying with people and commissioning his followers to spread the good news of the resurrected Christ, the resurrected king of the universe to the world while we wait for him to come again and do what happened to Jesus to the whole world, that the whole world would be renewed. Like the whole world that's subjected to futility, that's corrupted and groaning, would actually experience new creation. Like the world itself would be renewed, made new. That heaven and earth would be reconciled, the dwelling place of God and humanity together. And what Paul argues for in this passage is that the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation and the beginning, the launch pad of that new creation project. And so he talks for a little while about the implications if he wasn't risen, the hopelessness. We talked about that a little bit last week. And then in verse 20, he says this, which is just a stunning and powerful line. It's from, it's the line from which we get the Christ, he is risen indeed line. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's but in fact, like, yes, we believe it, that he actually rose. He actually rose from the dead. And listen to this line, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And he talks about this biblical theology of the world, like a worldview. For as by a man through Adam came death, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, through the sin of humanity, we've brought death and corruption into the world, so by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Or for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And so I want to pay attention to this word first fruits. We talked about it a little bit. It's a really important line in the way we understand what God's doing in the world here and now, like right here and right now. So at its most like fundamental level, the idea of first fruits are the first signs of life, of like a plant kind of sprouting out of the ground, first signs of life. If you're new to Colorado and these 85 degree days are fooling you, don't be fooled. Do not plant flowers yet, they will die. Don't plant your tomatoes, they will die. Your irises are going to be okay. Everything else will die. Um, don't be fooled. You're like, springtime. No, no. It's taken, it took me like several years to kind of stop being tricked after years in Wisconsin and Chicago for college and grad school. When it warms up, it warms up. In Colorado, not so. It warms up and then it cools down again. You're going to get dumped on with snow again. It's going to happen more. Get used to it. But if you were to start planting your plants, like our, our family, my wife and my kids have been doing all these cool things with gardening and botany stuff, and they have our plants planted inside right now where they're kind of these seeds are germinating and growing. And when they begin to break forth and they, they show the first signs of new life. So it's the beginning of new life. And these kind of first fruits that would come out of these crops are the first fruits, the very beginning, the very beginning evidences of new life. And so what Paul's saying at kind of a minimum at one level is that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was the beginning of the new creation. 
It was the beginning of new life making its way into a dead and corrupted and painful and broken and dark world. New life began. Jesus is the first fruits. And what he says in this passage is that when he comes again, all who have trusted in Christ will also be made alive. That the bodies that are buried or cremated or lost or suffer to destruction and decay and decomposition will be reconstituted when God makes all things new. That we sing many times over like graveyards becoming gardens. You turn graves into gardens. When you pass a graveyard, seeds have been planted. New life will come. Bodily, material life on this world when Jesus makes all things new. That's the beginning, the first fruits. And that's this final, what the Bible talks about, this ingathering of this harvest. What he talks about in the next several verses in 1 Corinthians 15 is essentially what Jesus is doing here and now is exercising his kingdom reign. That He's actually inviting people to turn away from the rebellion that brought death into the world, to turn to him who's bringing life into the world. And we turn from rebellion, trusting in his forgiveness through the cross, his atoning work on the cross, and trusting in his resurrection to create new life within us, we get to begin to actually experience life under the reign of Jesus. We're experiencing his kingdom. What he's doing right now is he's putting all things into subjection. He's actually exercising his reign to bring restoration. When we decided we're going to push away from the reign of Jesus and we're going to rule our own hearts and our own lives and chase our own desires on our own terms, we brought death and pain. As Jesus heals the world, people are experiencing that new creation life by turning from our autonomy towards trust and obedience in the presence of God, the love of God, and the authority of Christ the King. In our culture, it is very common to despise any idea of authority. This idea of like self-expressive individualism where I get to determine who I am, what I am, how I think, what I feel. I get to do life my own way. And anything outside of me that would impose any external authority on me is inherently oppressive or evil. Now the reality is a lot of cultures, every religious history, cultural history, family history, has been very oppressive in so many ways, where we put on people expectations where people can't be honest about their own feelings, their own thoughts, their own heart. They feel ashamed, especially marginalized experiences that get pushed to the edges, don't feel room to be honest. There's a real goodness to actually giving people room to be honest about what's going on in their own life, their own heart, their own desires. That's important. What's also important is to know that thriving humanity comes not when we push away from authority and declare ourselves to be our own autonomy, but actually thriving life happens when we return to the authority of our king. In fact, it's what Jesus is, the fundamental error in the human experience that Adam experienced and all of us who have followed is to say, I don't want God, the creator, to be my authority. I want to be my own authority, chase my own desires on my own terms. That's what brings death into the world. The Christian experience is to own that me doing this on my own and the world doing it on our own leads to death. And we return to Jesus with repentance, come to him who died for our sins to bring forgiveness, who washes, cleanses, but through his resurrection to actually establish a new creation kingdom where we're saying, what does it mean to obey everything he commanded? Like the Christian experience is to turn to Jesus and then to learn to obey everything he commanded. To say, I have a king and an authority and to trust his love and to trust his reign. 
That's what we're called to be and to do. And that's what Paul's calling people to in this space, is this turning from death, the way that leads to death, to experience life in Christ. And so Jesus has come to make that possible in the world. What's powerful about this passage is it talks about the, new, the kind of first fruits of this new creation in Jesus and this final thing that's coming, that the phrase first fruits has a deeper and even richer biblical history. It's not just kind of a, an agrarian metaphor that would be familiar to people that did anything with planting or kind of agriculture. It was actually a theme that existed in the people of Israel. We've talked often, we were talking a few weeks ago, about that Israel had ordered its calendar around seven feasts. Three of those feasts are, are what are called pilgrimage festivals. So pilgrimage festivals were times in the year, three times in the year, where people, wherever they lived in Israel, would actually leave and make their way to Jerusalem for a festival, a multi-day festival. And the three pilgrim, uh, pilgrimage festivals, the first one is called Chag Pesach, can you guys say Chag Pesach? No. It really needs that It needs like, you need to sound like you're preparing to spit. Um, it's a real thing. It's a Hebrew letter, Chet, not Hey, Chet. And uh, in fact, uh, when we were naming my daughter Sophia, uh, which is the Greek word for wisdom, I had offered to my wife, I was like, we, we could name her the Hebrew word for wisdom, which is Chokmah. And uh, I got outvoted, uh, big time outvoted. We tied, and then she, you know, took the tiebreaker also on her own terms. <laughs> So she's not Chokmah, she's Sophia, which sounds admittedly better. Um, this idea of a festival, Chag Pasach, of Passover. That's the first one, the festival of Passover. And so it was, the, it was the beginning. They'd come, they'd sacrifice the lamb on that Friday. They'd have on Friday night or the beginning of the Sabbath, the Passover festival, that feast. And then on the first day of unleavened bread, after that night, that Saturday Sabbath, they would have a feast of the ingather, or sorry, a feast of the first fruits. So on that Sunday morning when Christ is risen, in the Hebrew tradition, this is the feast of the first fruits. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. And then they would wait seven weeks. Seven weeks. The Hebrew word is Shavuot. It's this week's word. Seven weeks, 49 days. After seven weeks, on the 50th day, they'd have another pilgrimage festival. Another pilgrimage festival. Okay, and on this festival, they would gather together, and it'd be the festival of weeks. And on the festival of weeks, they'd celebrate the beginning of, the, of this new harvest, this first harvest that would come. We celebrate that as Pentecost, which means 50 days. 50 days after the feast of the first fruits, we have the festival of weeks, which we celebrate the harvest, the beginnings of the harvest. And then later in their year, towards the end of the harvest, they'd have a final pilgrimage festival, the festival of booths. In the festival of booths, they'd make their way again to Jerusalem and they'd finally celebrate the fullness of the harvest. And so when Paul uses this first fruits terminology to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, it's tapping into this story of Jesus as the beginning of new life. And then we think about what happened 50 days later during the, the Feast of Weeks, during Pentecost, the, the Feast of 50 Days, when the Spirit was poured out on the people of God and new life began to emerge in people as the Spirit of the living God was poured into the hearts of all who had turned from their sin to trust in Jesus. It was the first tastes of this new harvest, this new life that's breaking into the world. And every time somebody today turns to Jesus in faith and is filled up with the Holy Spirit, it's evidence of the new harvest, this new life, this kind of foretaste of where the whole world is headed. And we wait for that final festival, this festival of booths, this festival, the other word in the Hebrew Bible that it talks about is the festival of ingathering, the final gathering of all who have turned to Jesus, all who have found new life in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. 
Why I think that's such a powerful paradigm is what we're saying is that what Jesus did on Easter Sunday when he came out of the tomb began an outbreak of new life that's breaking into the world, the beginning of a harvest, the beginning of new life that's being experienced and people are experiencing transformation. And we wait for that final day when he comes again to make everything new, but that this new life is here and now active, here and now active. And we're actually called to step into it not just like when you first put your faith in Jesus, but we're called to walk in newness of life, to walk in new creation life. And so that framework, Paul will use all over his letters when he's talking to the churches about what it means to begin to live into who they're called to be. His passion is not merely that people would turn from sin to trust in Jesus so they get to, heaven, get to go to heaven when they die. His passion is that people would turn from sin to trust in Jesus to experience the new life of the resurrected Christ here and now that we would become resurrection people in the way that we live and engage here and now giving evidence of the new creation that God is bringing into the whole world. It's where the whole world is headed. So when you look at the news feeds and when you look at your own life and your own family and you see all this brokenness in you, the path towards transformation is not anger at the world out there. It's not constant anxiety and fear and kind of hunker down and huddle up with people that are just like you so we can stay away from the painful dark world. It is to step into in your own life a life of repentance and faith, turning from the sin in your own life that brings death into the world and stepping into the new life that Jesus has made available as we learn to follow his way of life, a life that's marked of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbors as yourself. And so what Paul says in places like Romans chapter 6 is, is stunning to me around this framework. In Romans chapter 5, Jason preached on it on Good Friday. He talks about how in Adam we brought death into the world, but then he says this crazy thing at the end of Romans 5, that even when sin increases, grace abounds all the more. That the more and more you see the sin in your own life, the more and more you can be stunned by the incredible, bottomless grace of God. It's stunning. It's a stunning thing. And, and if you're new to Christianity, you might have the sense, like, the more I follow Jesus, the less sinful I will become. And maybe there's a part where there's, like, real meaningful growth. There ought to be. But what tends to happen is the more you follow Jesus, the more you realize how deep the rabbit hole of brokenness and sin in your own heart goes. You start to see the insecurities and the fears that even motivate your, your good works. You see the cravings and the idolatries that run like deep within you. You see the patterns that, that kind of affect the way you present, the way you engage, the way you respond to difficulty, the way you respond when life falls out of your control, the way you respond when things don't go the way you want them to. You begin to see the rabbit hole of sin and darkness goes deep deep. And so the life of Christianity is not this like one-time repentance and trusting in Jesus. It's a life of repentance. It's a life of seeing more and more how deep that brokenness is within me and becoming more and more astounded by the depth of God's love for me in Christ. So when, when sin abounds, Paul says, grace abounds all the more. And so it leads to this question, well then, well then should we just keep on sinning so that grace would abound? It's exactly what Paul anticipates. Romans 6.1 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No way, never. No. Like, if that's your mentality, you missed the whole point. If that's your mentality, it's like, let's become a Christian, get forgiveness, good, I'm fine to go. I'm going to keep living in a way that brings death into my life and into the world. When the whole, the whole idea is that you've been liberated from the, that way to begin to walk in a new way. And so that's what Paul says in these next verses. He says this, 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just like Jesus' body was dead, and then on the third day he walked out of the grave in new creation life, when you trust in Jesus, you're saying that part of me that rejected your reign and was going after life on my own terms, chasing after joy, satisfaction, pleasure, acceptance, security in my own way, according to the path of this world and all the spiritual powers that are at work within this world, I'm going my way. That version of me, which Paul will call your old self, it's dead with, it's dead with Jesus. No more. No more. This new self that's saying the reign of God is good. Eating the fruit of the tree on our own terms and rejecting the reign of God was bad. Trusting in the word and in the love of the king is good. So I'm going to give my life to walking in this new creation life, trusting in the love of God and in the authority of my king. And I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to struggle, but this is the life. A life of repentance and faith, turning from and turning to. And the way Paul will talk about it in Colossians, the way he'll talk about it in Ephesians, the way he'll talk about it in Galatians, is putting off and putting on. Like there's activity to be done to live into this. There are things you need to actively turn from. The parts of our own life that are clinging to the death of this world, the death for which Jesus, our Savior, died. We have to actively own these as a real part of our life, acknowledge them, and turn from them. Say, Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need freedom. I need hope. I want to walk in new life. I don't want to walk in a life that's marked by insecurity and constantly afraid of what everybody thinks about me. I want to trust in your love and live a life of service. I don't want to live in fear of what's going to happen financially and feel like I've got to kind of like double down on all of my things just to make sure I can secure my life for myself and for my future and for my kids. I want to trust in your reign, your sovereign care, and live with freedom and generosity and peace. I don't want to live my life chasing pleasure with the next experience and the next recreational activity and the next vacation. And I don't want to numb my heart with substances and alcohol and drugs and chase after sexual exploits. I don't want to keep doing that. I want to trust that in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to enjoy the freedom and the joy of the love of God. And that means you have to turn from things and turn to things. And the Bible word there is confession, which is to agree with God that this is real and it's in me. And then repentance, to turn, to turn. And that has to happen in your day-to-day life, not just a sermon where a guy talks about it. Your life has to be marked by confession and repentance to experience freedom and transformation. Like that means something today. There are things in me. There's stuff in me this week. I had to reach out to a couple friends and say, hey, I see this stuff active in my life. It's unhealthy. It's not good. And I need people to like walk with me through this. I need people to walk with me. And I reached out, I talked to my wife and I talked to two friends. This is real. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? And as they were throughout the week, praying with me, praying for me, checking in, how's it going as you're pressing into that, I felt so much freedom and joy and peace in those areas. And it wasn't just like, I'm a Christian, so I hope I magically grow. It's like, it takes activity. It takes work. Relying on the Holy Spirit, relying on the power of God, turning to Jesus, but it really takes a life of putting off and putting on. And here's how Paul says it in Romans 6, later in the passage. He's going to unpack, why would you keep giving yourself to the things that bring death when Jesus died to free you from death? And died to actually set you free to actually give yourself to the Jesus who gives life. 
And the culmination is that passage we know, the wages of sin, like if you keep living in sin, it leads to death. But the free gift of God and Christ is life. Life to the full, life eternal. So he says this in verse 11. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey their passions. Don't present your body, your life to sin as like an instrument that brings unrighteousness into the world. Give yourself, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, new creation, resurrection, and your members, your body, your life to God as instruments for righteousness. This is the thing we have to do. It's the thing we're called to in response to the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Colossians, again, he'll say, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things where Christ is. Like, seek the reign of Jesus. Live according to the reign of Jesus. Trust in the word of Jesus. Chase after the presence of Jesus. Put to death all those things in your life that pull you away from him and step into and put on the spirit of God and all the things that actually lead you into the life of the kingdom here and now. Again, it's all over. And so what I want to do today, instead of belaboring it, is just create space for us to step into it to step into it. There are things in my life and in my heart that I need to own as real. I need to confess. There are things in my life that I need to turn from. And there are things in your life that you need to own as real and things in your life that you need to turn from. And if we want to be people that are experiencing the power of the crucified and resurrection of Jesus, it requires a real life of turning from and turning to a real life, like real conversations with Jesus, real conversations with your friends and your family members and your coworkers and your gospel community leaders. Hey, here's stuff in my life. Is that to create guilt and shame? No way. It's to create freedom and transformation. We say often here as a church that transformation happens when grace meets shame. When you begin to walk into the light and say, this thing that has been a part of my life, this unconfessed sin, this thing I haven't been turning from, this little thing, you know, we have Spurgeon and others talk about these darling sins that we just kind of like, this, these blatant ones, sure, I don't do those blatant ones like those nasty people over there, um, but my anxiety and my fear and my resentment and my apathy and my cold-heartedness and my just reluctance to really give my life to Jesus, that I want to stew in my kind of like anger, I want to stew in my kind of like deconstructive thoughts and just kind of sit here because it feels good. Man, it's real. Own it as real. I'm not saying shame on you. That's in us. Name it to Jesus and say, set me free. Give me faith. Renew my heart. Set a fire in my heart to chase after you, to experience your love and your liberation because I want to step into new creation life. It's available right now. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. They're available now. It's the evidence of the Spirit of God creating life in you now. Resentment, anger, bitterness, lust, greed, covetousness, malice is the work of the flesh. You don't need to be trapped in that. But it's a life of repentance that leads to freedom and transformation. So what we're going to do is just create some space to actually step into that. I'm going to take a moment and pray. And we're going to have the band come up. And we're going to celebrate a kind of communion in a moment. But I'll create a little space for us just to pay attention. Say, God, what, what is there in my heart that I need to turn from? And if your answer is nothing, then you're not a Christian. <laughs> I'm not even joking. If you're committed to your way of life, 
and saying, there's nothing in me that I need to be saved from. you like, it's okay, we're glad you're here, truly. But just know, like, that's not Christianity. Christianity is there's stuff in my life, a brokenness that clings to me and that I participated in, and I need forgiveness and freedom and life and transformation and healing. That's the way of Christianity. Mandalorian fans, this is the way. This is the, this is the way. This is the way. It's the way. All right. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to pray that the Spirit of God would move among us. We don't need magic. We don't need anything. We need the presence of God to work in our hearts. And so let's soften our hearts before him and, and ask him to work among us. Let's pray together. And Jesus, we need you even now. We need your grace and mercy, your power at work now. There are things that are clinging on to us. There are things for people in this room that have been clinging on to us for years that are years that we've been letting fester and we haven't been on. So, or maybe there's just a hopelessness. Would you renew our hope that you have the power to redeem, to liberate, to free us, to set us free to experience new life in you? Where there are things that we're just beginning to kind of settle into, maybe it's cynicism or skepticism, just a callousness and an indifference to you. Would you awaken us now, just a passion to not pretend we're happy when we're not, but to turn to you in our unhappiness? to turn to you in our callousness, to turn to you in our cynicism. And I pray that your spirit would soften our hearts and lead to joy and love and freedom and peace. And so would you do that right now? Would you light up in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you bring conviction into our life in the areas where we're clinging on to the things that rob us of the life that you've called us to? Would you help us to be honest with ourselves and where it's helpful where it's necessary to have the boldness and the courage even to be honest with others as you experience the, the grace that you have, not just from you, but even that you cultivate a community of grace here and now as we all wrestle with our own sin, our own struggles, our own doubts and fears, our own burdens, our own pain. Would you create a community of grace and love that would bring freedom and transformation into our lives? In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to create just, just a little bit of space right now for you to ask this question. What is going on in my life that I just need to be honest with Jesus about? If I'm going to say, is there something you're feeling convicted about? Often it's going to be one of the first things that comes, comes to your mind. Because the next thing we do is we try to tuck that away. Like, oh, I don't want to think about that. Because it's hard. But what if you were to say, he loves me. There's no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. Forgiveness and cleansing is available. Grace and freedom and mercy is abundant. If that's the case, what does it mean to say this is real? And to bring that to Jesus and just to share with him. The Bible word is confession, just to confess. And then to turn to him and say, would you help me change? Would you bring freedom and change into my life? We'll take a moment and we'll pray about that individually. And then again, we'll create some time throughout communion where we'd love to have you pray with people that came with you or pray with people that will be available in the gallery during communion. But take a minute and consider what God might be doing in your heart.
Father, where there is indifference in our hearts, would you bring freedom, new joy, new passion, new new fire. Where there's resentment, bitterness towards human beings created in your image, a bitterness and a resentment that you don't even feel towards us, that even while we were enemies, you loved us, would you create that sort of spiritual power in us to actually follow the way of Jesus who loves his enemies, us, even while we were enemies? Where there's addiction to behaviors that are suffocating our soul, that are leading to withering and corruption in our inner lives, that are disintegrating who we pretend to be on the outside and what's actually happening on the inside, would you bring real transformation and freedom? Freedom from bondage. Loosen the chains. Help us kick them off of our feet and to run with endurance the race set before us. Where there's unbelief and lies in the culture that are creeping in, that we're caring more about the wisdom of the world than the wisdom of your word, King Jesus, would you help us to see the lie for what it is? a strategy from the evil one to pull us away from the goodness of your reign and help us to turn from it. Where there are patterns of life of seeking approval and pleasure and security and things we can accumulate or achieve or relationships or people's opinions, would you set us free to experience the freedom that we find in your love Would you help us to step into new life, newness of life, freedom, joy, love, peace, here and now. Would you help us? Give us an awareness, Jesus, of your patience, of your mercy, of your faithfulness, of your steadfast love. It is better than life. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you that nothing can separate us from that love in Christ. Nothing. Help us to walk in it to find freedom in it, to find life in it. And I pray that that would transform us as a people to display that kind of spirit, spiritual fruit to one another, that new creation life, that evidence of new life in the spirit to one another and to the world around us. We need you for this, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.